Pray with me, please. God, allow the words spoken to bring encouragement and freedom and life to us. And allow us to live in response to that life in a way that honors you wherever we are. Amen. It, it was one of those nights um, when the temperature refused to register on the thermometer in Minneapolis. If you've lived there, you know what I'm speaking about. And when you looked at the surface of the road, it looked like a sheet of ice. Because it was. Why was I out driving around? Well, I'd received a phone call, a frantic phone call from a young woman. And she insisted that we had to talk. And as she explained a little bit of what was going on, yes, we did need to talk. She and a wonderful young man sat on the cusp of engagement. But that particular day, she had discovered that there were some accusations being made about her involvement with someone else. And to complicate things, one, she had been home alone the entire evening that she was accused of doing something, and two, the person that she wanted to marry had a history in his family of exactly what she was accused of. Can these bones live? Two weeks ago, Wonderfully, there was another birth of a child into their family. There are now two. An amazing family with an incredible story. Last week, Ruth shared with us about the despair of hearing that Jerusalem had been destroyed. And it was the low point in what's going on. Can it get any worse? Probably not. And in the midst of that, she talked about hope. Well, would you picture that she provided this little balloon, this, this place of hope in the midst of that? Well, this morning, I gave serious thought to bringing in a hot air balloon and pumping it up in here. But prudent thoughts perhaps dictated I not do that. But that's the impression I want to leave with you that the hope goes from this to something that would literally fill up this whole place. That's what happens in Ezekiel 37. And in order to begin to understand that, the first thing we have to deal with are bones. And um, there they are. So apparently all we need are bones and we feel full of hope and ready to go, right? Doesn't that picture just fill you with hope? Your faces are telling me that may not be the case. So let me give a little context to this picture. A few years ago, we had the privilege of visiting our son who was teaching in Bulgaria. And uh, on our way back home, we stopped in Paris to see a person who works with the French church. Since it was our first time there, she said, let me take you on a tour of the city. This was one of our stops. It's called the catacombs. You go underneath the streets of Paris, and you walk down in this ossuary that uh, has the bones of six million people in it. 
and they are nice and neatly stacked up. It's quite an experience to walk in there. Part of me was repulsed. Part of me was attracted. Part of me was confused. Part of me was drawn. All these conflicting things going on. Well, walking in there is good preparation for Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel, in the very first verse, it says the Spirit kind of grabbed him and took him somewhere. Well, that had happened before in this book. And that time when the Spirit took him and brought Ezekiel back home, for almost five years, one, he couldn't leave his house, and two, he couldn't talk. And now it's happening again. Can you imagine some of the things that he might be feeling? Oh boy, here we go again. What now? I'm not sure I want to do this. He'd had that experience before. And so God took him and led him through all these bones, just like walking through corridor after corridor after corridor underneath the streets of Paris. And then Ezekiel hears this question put to him. Can these bones live? I was at a dinner, and it was with a couple that were soon to be married. And in the context of that dinner, it was the first time I got to meet the bride's parents. And in the course of conversation, it became apparent that the, her parents had divorced some time ago and had both moved on to explore other relationships. And so we had a dinner, it was pleasant, and then I left. And two weeks later, my phone rings. And I pick it up and answer it, and it's the mother of the bride. And what I heard were these words. We're wondering if we can get together with you to talk about the possibility of getting back together. Part of me was extremely cautious, and part of me was just rabidly excited. Can these bones live? Four months later, the daughter gets married. And four months after that, the parents remarry. It was ten years ago, and they're still married. Ezekiel has to respond to God's question. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel's response is, God, only you know. A very wise response. But in verse 11, we get the response of the Israelites, the the church, the family of faith in that time. In verse 11, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we're cut off. Boil that all down, and what do you have? A resounding no. No. This can't happen. It's not just then that the issue of dry bones show up. We struggle with them today as well. 
the uh, Pew Research Institute did a national study asking people to respond to this question. What brings meaning to your life? And the response they got was very surprising to them because overwhelmingly, the four things that I'm going to put up here in a second uh, reflect what they heard from people all across the United States. We'll take a look at the first slide. I'm just going to let you read it. Let's go on to the second one, please. Sounds like there are some dry bones out there that we live in the midst of. I think certainly the answer is yes. And even more so, I would say that those of us that are seated here, we know the reality of dry bones as well. It's not, are there dry bones in your life? I think it's more, where are the dry bones that you struggle with? Where are they? What is it that just feels like that first picture? There's just nothing there. We found ourselves in Guatemala. We'd gone down to do a medical mission. And in order to get to the Ketchi Indian tribe, we had to take a bus. And this bus ride was really quite the experience. Because quite literally, I remember sitting in the seat and looking out the window, and I could look down about 1,500 feet. There was no guardrail. And a lot of people who were seated on this side of the bus decided they wanted to sit on the other side of the bus for this section of the road. And in fact, down there, I could see this wonderful picture. It was a rusted, twisted hulk of another bus that didn't make it. Reassurance flooded me at that point. So finally we get to the site, we set up the medical clinic, and we start treating the people that are coming in. And one of the uh, persons that came was a dad carrying his four-year-old son. And the reason he was carrying him was, there in that village, shoes are virtually unknown for children. They just don't wear them. And they're running around on the dirt. And in the dirt, there are all kinds of things you don't want to get in your body, one of which is a tapeworm. Well, Francisco, running in the dirt, had managed to acquire one that deeply, powerfully impacted his life so much that at that moment, he could not walk. So we got him in, laid him down, and looked at his blood. It was the consistency of water. And it barely had any pink in it at all. His life hung by a thread. Now, treating the tapeworm, that was not a real concern. But the anemia was. Can these bones live? So what we did is we took the dad and we found out what kind of blood he had, and amazingly, he and his son shared the same blood type. So we put a needle in the dad's arm, and we put a needle in the son's arm, and we went from the dad 
to the Son. 20 minutes after we finished that transfusion, Francisco got up off the table and walked out. The next day, he ran into the clinic. Children have amazing recuperative powers. It's not just bones we need to look at. But we go on and we come to the issue of breath. So looking at these incredibly dry bones in verse 5, listen to what God says. Watch this. I'm bringing the breath of life to you and you will come to life. Now listen to the tone of that. There's no question. There's no if you'd like to. There's no should we vote on it. There's no maybe. It's watch this. Watch it. This is what I'm going to do. And in those words, we capture the sense of God's grace and mercy and compassion and pursuit and persistence all kind of rolled up. Watch this. This is what I'm going to do. Incredibly powerful statement. But the whole issue of the breath, I'm going to breathe life into you. The word for breath, ruach, it's a great word. Spirit, wind, life, all of those. It, it goes from Genesis to the end of Scripture. And again and again and again, we see it in very critical times, the breath God breathing into us. So some of you are ahead of me. We go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 2, and we read that God breathed into human nostrils and brought life to humanity. We come ahead to Ezekiel chapter 37, and 12 different times that same word for spirit and life and breath is used again and again and again to say, this is what I'm going to do here. Life. And then we can move ahead to the Gospels. And after the resurrection, Jesus is gathered in the upper room with his disciples. And it says he took a deep breath and he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. What an amazing picture that God paints for us there. The breath of life. Chuck was a Marine. Now, not just any Marine. He was one of those really gung-ho Marines. And he famously or infamously said, if you asked me to, I'd walk over my own mother. After the service, he was an attorney. And he was a very successful attorney. And he just kind of rose up the ladder and found himself literally in the White House on the White House staff, and then move ahead a couple of years, and he now finds himself disbarred, convicted, and facing jail time. And his future had crumbled like termites had gotten into a piece of wood. Can these bones live? Well, Chuck Colson in the process of going through all of that, 
began something we now know as prison fellowship. And through the course of that, hundreds if not thousands of men and women have had their lives transformed through that process. We have to stop here because there's something we need to wrestle with that I wish we didn't. So far, we've talked about this powerful breath of life, what God intends to do, and we've had illustrations of almost, in some cases, miraculous outcomes and powerful changes. And we can begin to develop the expectation that it's always going to turn out that way with God. It's always going to turn out good, at least good from the perspective that we have. And candidly, it's not. It's not. I had this powerfully brought home to me just last Sunday when I was greeting. And I had this amazing little boy come running up to me. And he said, you still don't have a hand. And he was correct. And he was, the concern and the care was written large all over his, his face. Now, now, first, we have incredibly awesome kids here at North. And my heart was hugged so wonderfully well by his care. But you see, there's the expectation that somehow it's supposed to turn out, supposed to be good. And, and you'll never guess the three-letter word that he said after I responded to him. Can you guess the three-letter word? Someone be brave. Why? Yeah. And he asked it about four times in a row. And let's just say I didn't have very good answers. He's a very wise young man. But there is the struggle. How do we fit together this promise? Look at what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring this breath of life and transform things. But the reality is that it doesn't always happen that way. And I would be absolutely convinced that some in here right now are feeling this internal tension. If I hear one more story about things turning out well, I might just explode. Because my baby died, and I still don't have a job, and I'm still single, and my child gets bullied all the time, and we don't have a house. And what do we do with that? We need to turn back in Ezekiel, just one chapter. Raul did not read that. And we need to find in, in chapter 36, verse 22, these words. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for me, to save my character, which you have blackened. The Israelites had twisted, distorted, and thought, okay, we've kind of got this thing that's going to just work out so well. And everything's going to be up to us to just, okay, this is what we want, we're going to get it. And God says we need to recenter ourselves. We need to refocus on this. And, and if we explore a little more deeply the word the ruach, I, I think it will help. 
It means that the spirit, the life, the breath reflects the inner feelings and aspirations of the person. Again, not merely in the sense of emotions, but in terms of the attitude, disposition, and motivation which one brings to choices and actions. God's wanting to explore deeply inside of us and work at that level. That's where the life needs to come. And for some, it will reflect externally. For others, it will not. That's why we find in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 12, God saying to the church, this is how you function better. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one weeps, we all weep. And we're going to struggle back and forth with that all over our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I much prefer the position of I can rejoice in your weeping rather than the other way around. But that's the challenge is to live well into both sides and live with this tension that's going to be with us for our whole lives. Dick, in many ways, had it made. He had a thriving practice of counseling. He was married, three sons, person of faith. And then his youngest son, who was just slightly under two years of age, helped him learn about rhabdomyosarcoma. And within a few months, his son died. I remember so well, I was standing on the campus of Fuller Seminary under this full blood-red moon when I first heard the words that he died. And then a little while later, his oldest son taught him about glioblastoma. And after a short illness, he died as well. And then his wife went through not only breast cancer, but also pancreatic cancer, which ultimately took her life. And then his last son, who was a physical trainer, I mean, he was a specimen. He was healthy, strong, fit. Well, he got lung cancer. And he died as well. Can these bones live. After all of this happened, Dick himself had to go through cancer as well. He is our brother-in-law. And we've had a front row seat to all of that. Bones and breath. Now comes the exciting part. It's called belief. Belief. We get to choose what we want to do with this incredible invitation to let me breathe life into you. No matter how many dry bones you may face, even if they number in the millions, you get to choose what you want to do. And to the family of faith, the house of Israel that these words are directed to, to us. I think, sadly, too often we respond as our grandkids 
used to do when we'd go through a tunnel. You come up to the edge of the tunnel and what happens? Okay, I'm holding my breath. I will not breathe until we get through the tunnel. Okay, are you holding your breath? Yes. And then we try and hold our breath until the end of the tunnel and we refuse to breathe no matter what happens. We're not going to breathe. We're not going to let anything out. And we hold it and we hold it. We hold it a little longer and we're saying, where is the end of this tunnel? And then finally, it feels so good to breathe. Well, I think that's how so often many believers live. We have this idea that, okay, I'm a Christian, and now I need to keep everything inside. I can't admit that I have dry bones. I can't admit what's really going on because I'm supposed to be victorious. And living, holding your breath is really, really painful. But we have a choice. The members of our prayer team are going to be visible around the auditorium here. And we're going to invite you to come up and let them breathe on you. It's called prayer. Let them ask for that fresh infusion of God's life, spirit, ruach. Let that happen. going to hold your breath? Or do you want to find out what it means to live into that place of new life, wherever the dry bones may be? I heard a conversation. It went like this. How are you? I'm lonely. One word. We don't have to have something huge and ginormous. It can just simply be that one word that says, this is what's going on in me. So I'm going to invite the prayer team if they would go to their various places and the band's going to come back and we're going to stand up and we're going to sing. Would you come and let them breathe life into you? Please do. Jesus, the one who brings life the one who breathes powerfully into us. Come now and infuse your people with that fresh sense of what you have for them as they walk through life. To your glory. Amen.
let strong and measurable power that comes from the breath of God flood your lives wherever you find yourself. And now, go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And may all of God's creation break forth into singing at your coming. Now and always. Amen.